Welcome to The Factor, a new podcast series by Agilis Consulting Group. I am your host, Sophia Kalita, and today we are kicking off our very first podcast. We're launching a podcast because we see this as a great opportunity to join in on some very important conversations that are happening in the medical device and combination product industry, conversations that impact the end users. And so our very first guests to start off our podcast are Pat Patterson and Shannon Hosty. Pat is the founder and CEO of Agilis Consulting Group, and Shannon is the president of Agilis Consulting Group. Hi, Sophia. Thank you for inviting me to this first podcast. I think this is pretty exciting. Super exciting. Yes, I'm happy to have you both here. Um, and so, Pat, you're the founder and CEO of Agilis Consulting Group, and along with that, um, and this great company that you've created. You've been a Fortune 500 consultant in process improvement and have over 40 years serving as an expert to various industries. Uh -oh. Wow. <laughs> um, and Shannon, in addition to being president of Agilis, you're also an assistant professor in the Quality Science Education Program at Pathway for Patient Health. And you serve on several standards and conference committees for medical devices and combination products. And prior to that, you've worked with FDA. So very, very impressive for the both of you. And we're going to get more into your journeys and where you are today in just a moment. Before that, I want to thank you both for being a part of our very first podcast episode. Again, this is very exciting. Uh, together, we'll be discussing Agilis's history and the importance of human factors for medical products. Uh, and depending on how you are choosing to tune in with us, thank you to our viewers and to our listeners. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking on the notification bell. You can also subscribe anywhere you listen to your podcasts. So, Pat, you have a background in instructional design. How did that lead you to start Agilis and come into medical? That's a great question because in looking back, no one would see the connection. Um, in looking back, there really was no connection. Um, I, I got into medical from Fortune 500 because I was put in touch with a, a, a client that manufactured complex biomedical test equipment. And they were training their users, med techs from all around the world, bringing them in for weeks of training sending them back to their labs with the anticipation that they would then train the other med techs in their labs. And they were having um, huge problems with that. Um, to that client's credit, one of the things they did was they calculated how the loss they were getting on, on the training, how many questions they were getting. Every time a med tech would call them about, well, what about this, what about that? They would say, well, that was covered in the training. They, they calculated that each call was costing them money. So they asked me to come in and help them kind of re-examine how they were training the med techs, which I did. I completely redesigned how they were training the med techs. Um, we actually shortened the training program and improved the results. That was my first exposure to medical, and I absolutely, I fell in love with it. I loved the med techs. I loved the fact that they were so, they were so enthusiastic, so committed to the, to the quality of their training. I had never seen this in any other industry, automotive, pulp and paper, um, banking, IT. You know, you had good in, industrious people, but they didn't have that passion. And so the client who had brought me in there kept moving to different companies and brought me with them. 
And eventually they wound up in a company that manufactured um, home care medical devices intended for home users. And that's when I got introduced to FDA and the fact that home users were a new user group in medical. Um, they, they didn't quite know how to train lay users and they were very skeptical. FDA was very skeptical and can you really train them? And so um, after that, I just literally fell in love with medical. I literally fell in love with the fact that what we do really matters to people's lives. Um, and I just, I decided that I wanted to conclude my career 40 years, sounds like a really long time, it is. Um, but I really wanted to conclude my career making a difference. And I, I think that's what we've done with um, with Agilis and the terrific people that we that we have in Agilis, um, have had in Agilis, and our terrific clients. I think we do make a difference. So it was a stroke of luck, but um, my background and this was never an obvious choice. It was never an obvious choice. That's what makes it kind of an incredible, incredible kind of journey, I think, into this. Um, so I'm curious now, Shannon. So how... When and how did you come into medical and why is human factors important to you? Actually, I think it's interesting as you meet folks in the field of human factors and instructional design in, in this space, um, everybody has a slightly different path <laughs> to they end up do. here. They do, yeah. I yeah. actually like that because I think it makes us a very diverse group. Yeah. Um, we come in with different backgrounds and different areas of, of uh, expertise. Yeah. Um, which I think makes us all better. So, yeah. Uh, so I came into medical as a mechanical engineer, uh, working in product development and uh, contract R and D. So I was working across the continuum from initial concepts, uh, doing a lot of systems engineering work, uh, the requirements engineering, risk management, and so forth, and then some sustaining work. So kind of working across the lifecycle continuum, and uh, I was seeing field failures that I couldn't understand. And uh, it turns out people were lubricating their devices um, because they thought the force wasn't quite consistent enough. And so they were lubricating their devices with butter and motor oil. Are you serious? Found that out by, yes. <laughs> yes. Found that out by scanning the surfaces. I couldn't figure out I was running um, finite element analysis and all these things to figure out why the parts were fracturing and couldn't figure it out. Uh, turns out that those materials were on the surface and uh, oils and plastics don't get along, they get brittle, and a fracture. So I was, I was paralyzed because I was trying to write requirements and do risk management for my next product. And uh, I, I was thinking, well, people could do anything. <laughs> How do I predict that? Um, so, so that led me into um, discovering the Cognitive Systems program uh, over at Ohio State and started taking classes um, on that Front and understanding how people and technology work together. And so this, Pat, um, lining up our timelines, this was probably right about the same time that you were working in the instructional, starting to work in the instructional design right. space. This was the mid to late 90s, right? right. Um, and uh, so, again, at that time, it wasn't on the radar, like Pat was saying. And so um, I would mention to folks what I was, what I was studying and what I was learning, and they would look at me and say, well, we don't do that. And I'm like, you don't design things that people use? <laughs> like that would say, you don't train people to yeah. perform, right? Um, so uh, so I started journeying then and kind of moving a little bit around some to some different companies uh, to uh, 
to build up not only the practice within systems engineering space for medical device, but also the human factors space. Um, the interesting thing, Pat, to, to your point, I love medical device and, and combination products, pharmaceutical space, um, because everybody's passionate about yeah. what we're doing, how we're doing it to um, better the human experience, right? We're improving people's lives. Uh, that's very motivational. Yeah. Um, you put a lot of effort into your jobs and your careers, <laughs> and it's it's very rewarding. Um, one thing I did notice, though, when I went out to um, I went out from Battelle um, to Intel, and I was working at a digital health group there at Intel where they were spinning up new technologies, and this would have been early two thousands. And one thing I noticed was while medical device was saying. We don't know if we do that. I mean, in all fairness, they were just figuring out design controls, right? Late nineties. But uh, I got out to Intel and they were, they're a component manufacturer, right? And they had this like army of ethnographers <laughs> understanding what was needed in the digital health landscape. Um, from the consumer standpoint, they were seeing the value in uh, some of this research. And so it was, um, it was interesting to then take that, apply that to development of, we we're working on uh, home health products um, and kind of understand that model from the consumer standpoint and how it can improve product safety and performance in the medical device landscape and then carry that forward to different companies. Mm -hmm. So I have a question though for you, Pat. Um, so we met, uh, you came out to Battelle and with Bob North and yeah. did a presentation. We met in the early 2000s somewhere there. Yeah. And uh, I was just curious as you were starting and working in Agilis, um, I know we had interfaced quite a bit early um, or, or within that journey and a few fronts and, and they were fronts that were critical to me in my career development and the products I was working on. Um, one was a presentation with you and Bob North on um, how to do the task and use their analysis and the, and to build out that framework for how you, right. what you base your, your efforts on, right? right. What's important. Um, the, the subsequently your work with, um, Murray Brady and Daryl Gardner Bernal on, on home health, on yeah. um, labeling and, and development and yeah. accessibility. Um, and so, and, and I believe you also worked with Molly Story Absolutely. early on. Yeah. And um, I was curious to, to know um, how those relationships came about and what were, what were your opportunities to work with those folks early wow. on as you pioneered the space? Yeah. Um, one of the things when I came, when I came into this profession, I, I, barely knew what FDA was. And um, I had the good fortune of meeting Bob, Dr. Bob North. I had published an article called Home Alone, which I still think is a great title for an article about home use devices. And his client saw the article and, and said to Bob, do you know this person? Bob, anybody who knows Bob, Bob knows everybody. So he found me and we ended up having a really long conversation on the phone. And he said to me, he said, you don't sound like any training person I've ever met. And I said, well, you've been talking to the wrong training people. Um, and at that point, we realized that the foundation of good instructional design is a sound task analysis. And not all training people took that approach, um, but that's the approach I took as a performance-based instructional design. And so when we realized that we both start from the same foundation, it became I mean, it just became kismet that, of course, I belong here. I belong in this profession. Along the path, um, I, I, I met Mary Brady as a function of uh, writing that article. I interviewed her. 
and learned that she was very, um, very, very um, into home health care. She had been a home health care nurse in her earlier career. And so I became associated working with her and FDA in the home health care initiative that she launched in 2010. Um, part of that, I became then involved in Amy and Daryl Gardner-Brenneau, Dr. Daryl Gardner-Brenneau, who um, sadly passed several years ago, that woman was phenomenal. She was absolutely phenomenal. I knew nothing about writing um, uh, information for this industry, and Daryl knew all about that. Um, we served on a committee, the Home Health Care Committee, together, and she helped me through that. She held my hand. Um, she taught me how to learn how to be in this industry. She taught me human factors for medical. Um, I just owe her so, so much. Um, and and uh, Dr. Molly's story, we worked with her early, and she was one of the few people, including um, Daryl and Bob, who understood the role, the potential role that user instructional material has when it's considered part of the user interface. So I would say without Bob, without Molly, without Daryl, and without Mary, none of this would, would have been possible. So um, I'm very grateful to them and, and their encouragement and guidance and patience, Absolutely. a lot of patience, <laughs> a lot of patience. Yeah. Exactly. It's been my experience too, and it's the, it's the people I've met along the way that really um, made the difference. And I, I love those relationships that where uh, you work together and you both are achieving things you yeah, know, you, you hadn't even imagined in some cases, right? Yeah, uh, and, and I, I, that's why I'm so excited about this podcast. And mm -hmm. as we as we bring folks in and have a yeah. chance to hear from them, I mean, these are these are the opportunities to to share knowledge and experience. Absolutely. And I, I used to make it a habit when I would when I would meet with clients and meet with their engineering team, I would ask them, "How did they come into medical? What what drew them into medical?" And some of them, it was just, it was a job. It was just the next job in their career path. But a lot of them, again, that same passion. Um, and uh, the, the folks that had that passion, um, some of them are still in this profession. It, it really, it's, it's infectious. It is absolutely infectious. We matter. We make a difference in people's lives. In a way, a lot of professions just don't. Um, and that's a, that's a cool place to be. So what I, I, I find interesting about what I heard you both say is you're both in a sense pioneers, mm -hmm. but yeah. that pioneering involved knowing certain people that taught you guys. And then you took that knowledge and you took it forward and you're, you have taught and you're continuing to teach. And, and where I'm curious now is I want you guys to talk about how did you meet each other? Um, cause, cause in this now realm of being in the same Agilist consulting group company, you're continuing to pass that baton forward, but your meeting together was sort of a, a very important piece to get to where we are today. So tell us about that. Yeah. I'll let Shannon take that one. Sure. So, uh, so as I mentioned, I was, um, working and trying to understand how to fit cognitive systems or human factors into medical device development. And um, I was, I was understanding the concepts and seeing the importance and, and trying to work through practically how do you implement that, Right. Um, and that's when um, Pat and Bob North, Pat Patterson and Bob North had come out to Battelle to do a presentation on that task and use their analysis. And I was, 
I looked like a kid in a candy store in that presentation. I don't know if you remember it, but I was like, oh, <laughs> this is it. This is how you do it. Um, and I, you know, quartered them promptly after the presentation and, <laughs> and talked to them. Quite a bit. <laughs> and, um, and just uh, working with them. And, and again, both Pat and, um, and Bob were accessible and, and, and to reach out to and ask questions um, you know, and kind of bounce some ideas off of. So, so we could start, I could start implementing um, what I was seeing that, that you were doing within companies. And, um, and then as I worked, moved over to Intel and worked more in the home health, that's where a lot of the work that, that you were doing and uh, Daryl Gardner Bruneau were doing uh, was so pitiful, pivotal to optimizing the design for home health. So um, what happens when you send, um, systems home so that the patient at home can communicate back to the clinician. So this is a lot of work that honestly has just now come to fruition with um, the changes with COVID that removed some of the barriers to home health yeah. and telemedicine. So, yeah. And one of the um, things that wasn't really considered back then is because in some cases it was, a, it was just assumed you're teaching people how to use a medical device, but there is a whole emotional component to a medical device that doesn't exist with, you know, a game or, you know, um, online shopping or something like that. There's a whole mm -hmm. emotional component. And Daryl and Mary Brady were really articulate in making and helping the, 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 um, the industry understand that. This emotional mm -hmm. component is very real and very tangible. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think we crossed paths again at an FDA live um, yes. meeting around um, labeling. Yeah, yes. <laughs> for a medical device, um, and so it was. It was awesome to have um, Pat to have you in in my career as I was, um, you know, journeying, and I, I went from home health into surgical at Stryker, yeah. um, in establishing you know the best practices and how to yeah. how to execute this, and and even so, when I when I moved into, for example, with Stryker, but I've seen this with other companies as well. When you're looking to build human factors within an organization, your some of your first allies are the folks in the tech pubs groups, the folks that are in the labeling groups, because um, they're they're kind of stuck dealing with any usability issues because they have to explain to the user how to use it and, and work around any of this. Um, so as as human factors was growing in this field, they were um, it was a, a natural synergy between um, very much so. the technical pubs and the yeah yeah nature. very much so. And but again, it all it, it, what what was amazing is to discover that it really does come down to that task analysis, the ability to describe human performance. Mm -hmm. um, some training some training people can do that, some cannot, um, and and some engineers can do that, some engineers cannot. But if that if you understand the importance of being able to describe human performance and are are able to do that, um, to me that's the that's the that's the secret sauce. Yeah. Um, all things are possible after that. And, and what that tool gives you is a framework to understand where you need more information. Exactly. Right? So exactly. as I'm laying out that task and user analysis, I start to under, start to know what I don't know. <laughs> and then I can go out and do research and I can use exactly. the different um, research methodologies to yeah. gather that information, ethnog ethnographic, yeah. As, yeah. as I start building out my design, I can start right. doing cognitive walkthroughs and then simulated use. Mm -hmm. um, 
depending on what I need to learn and to come back and fully understand that task error analysis. So, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It's fun. It is, it is fun. I love my job. Yeah. <laughs> so, so when I started, when I decided to move into consulting, that was one of the first people I called um, to better understand that. And then I uh, joined Agilis. So. And that was a work happy, directly. happy day for me and a happy, happy day for Agilis. We were really fortunate. This is an excellent we've team. Known, yeah, we've, we've known each other for, what, 15 years, more than that? Yeah. Um, but we were kind of circular, circular around each other, kind of mm -hmm. never really working together. So this is really the first time we're actually working together, which is which is really pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And so it, maybe you can touch on Shannon in terms of your the passion that you're describing that you have for human factors, which which I think is is evident in in what you do and how you do it. And then with being in Agilis now or being a part of Agilis, how do you how do you see the two tying together? What are your kind of what's your vision, your expectations moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. I, I I'm excited to see. I was just recently at a conference and, and what I'm excited to see and, and have seen happening over the last 20 years is the evolution of this of this practice of, of the practice of. Uh, use-related safety and performance within the medical device sector, the medical device and pharmaceutical sector. Um, I saw it evolving in within industry. I saw it evolving within my time at the FDA with, with regards to the quality of submissions coming in and the quality of, of human factors research being done. And I see it continuing today even to, to evolve and develop. Um, and you know, folks talking about when they're talking about risk management, they're identifying the use related risk components of it. When they're talking about quality management systems, they're identifying how that use factor plays into their quality management systems. So it's exciting to see um, it coming to the forefront because it's it's so critical. At the end of the day, we can design excellent systems and we can do our engineering and, and engineer as many features as we want to within a system, but at the end of the day, someone is going to be using that and it's going to serve their needs or not. Right? Um, and so, uh, so it's exciting to see that, that focus also being right. built into that development picture. And I, I think it's worth remembering in the beginning when you mentioned human factors to someone, they looked at you with deer in the headlights. And they would say, you mean human resources? And we'd say, no, 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 human factors. <laughs> so that kind of change in 20 years, that's that's mm -hmm. pretty phenomenal. It that is. is very phenomenal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and what I'm excited about what we're doing at Agilis and, and where we're going as a whole is not only, you know, helping clients and helping um, companies with human factors within their products, um, but but what I'm really excited about is is building up new folks within the field of human yeah. factors and instructional design, building up expertise um, within our staff, within uh, other colleagues within the industry, right? Um, that's part of why I love teaching um, the quality science curriculum with Pathway for Patient Health as well, um, because it's working with, at, at that point, college students, but college students and early career professionals to um, to further the skills that can take this even further right down the road. It's exciting. So 
so the, there's a there's something you said, Pat, which segues into to another thought or question that I have: uh, human factors in the deer and headlights, <laughs> and kind of human resources. So, to me, I, I, I that's a, a misconception, right? From from when human factors were starting to surface right. and that importance and foundation was being laid. What what other common misconceptions have you seen? You know, as you've you've been in this space. Well, kind of just on the on the name thing. Uh, in addition to human factors being confused with human resources, I think I may have been the first person in this industry to use the term instructional design. And people would say, "You mean industrial design?" And I would say, "No, instructional design." And so we would go through that whole that whole conversation. Um, I think in the beginning, human factors was just, it was a total unknown. Um, Shannon mentioned earlier about the educational piece. I mean, education was so critical. Clients who I've always been a consultant, so I'm pretty familiar being in a consulting role with, with clients, but they would have a hard time understanding how human factors research studies um, fit in compared to clinical studies, they're completely familiar with clinical studies. They've been doing them for a thousand years. How does it fit in with marketing research studies? Again, they're completely familiar with marketing research studies. Um, and so the, part of the struggle in the early years was helping clients understand human factors is a science. It is the science of observation. Um, but it does use qualitative data. A lot of clients, you know, had, you know, confusion over that. But how does human factor studies fit in with the clinical studies? No, we're not clinical. How does it fit in with marketing? No, we're not marketing research. Uh, but yet we are equally important. Um, and so there was a lot of education that went on um, with, with helping clients understand the role that human factors study and human factors data produces um, and one of my favorite things um, always has been being with a client the first time when they're in that observation room, the first time they see a real live human being interacting with their device, being allowed to do what they're going to do, um, and, and having the client look at that and say, oh, oh my gosh, I've never seen that before. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a pretty, um, astounding and amazing, um, thing to see clients go through that transformation. And it's interesting once they go through that, they never go back. They never become, you know, confused about human factors versus the other, the other kinds of studies. They get it. They get it very quickly. And, and what about the task and user analysis? So you both talked about that, um, can you talk about any misconceptions that you've seen in in the even in the early days of Agilist or the early days of your work and the sort of responses around that and you know any challenges you face with explaining I, it? I have one way I've I've thought about it and um, have um, talked about it with different organizations uh, in the past. Is um, again as I mentioned that task and user analysis becomes kind of that framework. Um, to hang this information on and to understand where you need more. Um, uh, I, I know earlier on I had faced, you know, human factors. So here's, you know, you lay out the human factors recommendations, maybe heuristics to say, you know, here's how this user interface, some rules of thumb on this user interface. And it would basically be a, well, that's your opinion. 
I'm a human. This is my opinion, right? <laughs> and so, um, so thinking of it more as a um, as a design opinion rather than the research practice, like like Pat was describing. And um, one way I, I like to think about it is, you know, within product development, I'm going engineer speak here. Um, you would develop and you would do your design FMEAs. And so you would get all of your design folks in, whether it's electrical, mechanical, whatever, and say, well, here's all the things that can 